0: Welcome to the Dork Forest. Jackie and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions
1: about our obsessions will make us us laugh and and smile. So let's explore the Dork Forest and dork out for a while. while. Hi, this is Jackie Cation with a special intro because it's November and December. You know the websites, JackieCation.com, DorkForest.com, Patrick Brady, going to fix this audio. Mike Rickberg, just sang those songs, and he's going to sing again at the end, and Vilmos fixes the websites. There is a golden opportunity to buy all kinds of Christmas, solstice, Kwanzaa, atheist gifts for your friends and loved ones at com on the merch page. Ranger of the Dork Forest t-shirt, the Dork Forest Brett Chambers design t-shirt, and CDs. It Is Never Going to Be Bread, my last CD, which was top 10 comedy albums of the year on Amazon, and the one before that, which is Circus People, which has an embedded video in the hard copy of the CD, and you can get those signed. That is the present intro part of it. There's also a donation button. In November and December, I ask that you not donate to the Dark Forest. Instead, you donate to a food bank where you live. Help somebody. What the heck? It's the holidays, right? You love the holidays, but there's been a hurricane, there's all kinds of trouble, and there's plenty of people in the world who need help. So November and December, take the money that you might donate to the Dork Forest and donate it to a local charity of your choice. In January, uh, pony up. Everybody should donate, I don't know, a hundred bucks a year. What the heck? And then you can still, of course, buy gifts if you want to buy gifts. Thank you so much for listening to the Dork Forest, and it is about to begin. Anyway, sitting in my living room, Uh I've, I've been a fan. Been a fan since the G4 days, man. And uh, welcome to the program, Guy Branham.
0: Hello, Jackie. I'm a fan, too. Also, I really like the Dork Forest t-shirt. It's you pretty like awesome. The new one? Yes.
1: Alright, well, you get a free shirt for doing the show.
0: Oh, it's awesome. It won't fit me, but I'll still have it. Uh, well, you're lucky
1: because, uh, the two, uh, the brown and the green, uh, Dork Forest t-shirts, uh, yes. I actually happen to have in stock a couple of 3Xs. Oh, sweets. So, uh, maybe a 3X, and they're American made. Hello. Um,
0: yes, the ridiculousness of getting a t-shirt that I can actually wear will be very exciting. Particularly, it's a great t-shirt. That's It's exciting. a nice
1: work. Brett Chambers, that's fan art from Brett Chambers from Portland, Oregon. And, uh, that, of course, uh, that is a, a Rebel Alliance. Uh-huh. Right, the Rebel Alliance symbol. There's a D12 up high. Uh-huh. He did, that font is beautiful. I don't know where he got that.
0: What language is that?
1: That is Elvish. And, uh, <laughs> it is from the I end sh- of...
0: I should have been able to recognize uh, it. Get
1: this. Uh, Brett Chambers out dork me, and I read The Lord of the Rings every year. So that is uh, from... Uh, that, that's when Aragorn finds the white tree at the end of The Lord of the Rings, and he says, I have found it. And then he says that in Elvish, which I cannot pronounce.
0: Um, I once won $20 from somebody when um, Fellowship of the Ring came out by Translating five words from Elvish into English. What?
1: What five words? Uh, Angmar. Um, Angmar, as in the King of the Witch King. Uh, of which king Angmar. of Angmar? Yes, yeah.
0: it means Iron Fortress. Ooh, nice. um, and what else was there? Uh, Andruil, but I don't remember what that means. Oh,
1: Anduril as Flame of the West. Oh. That's, what it means. It's, uh, that's Aragorn's sword, and it's the Flame of the West. Anyway.
0: <laughs> oh, uh, also um, the. Like, the boy I lost my virginity to, I can always determine, I can always figure out within five minutes what his password is because it will always be in Quenya.
1: In Quenya? how do you spell that?
0: Well, no, no, no. in Quenya. Oh, Oh, it'll yes. be in Quenya. Yes. Oh, that's
1: hilarious. Good for him. Good for him. I'm sure he was a very gentle and loving man.
0: He was adorable.
1: Was he adorable?
0: He was a Minnesotan.
1: Was he? Did you did you grow up in Minnesota? Where did you?
0: No, I'm from Northern California, but I went to law school in Minnesota and I also came Do out you there. You have a law degree? I have a law degree. You,
1: were you at the bar?
0: Um, like I was never really a lawyer. Like my nice my work my own
1: it's like it, my father always said, oh, you'll need a law degree you know, you, you get it's like having a nice suit. It's something to fall back on. You know,
0: it's true. It's perfectly useless. I wasted three years of my life and a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, was it free as but, well? Uh, it was free. <laughs> um, well, uh, well, no, the, the like the one good thing I did was I went to uh, the school that gave me a scholarship, uh, which is why I spent three years in Minnesota. Oh, um, so I, I got away for free.
1: Oh, you did go for free. Yes. Literally. OK. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, well that's awesome. Uh, so you grew up in California.
0: In like rural Northern California on an almond farm. Um, I but-
1: don't See, people forget how, A, how big California is. Yes. And the fact is, you could realize if you went on soaring California, uh, because, and, and that's, and where when you say northern California, do you genuinely mean or do you mean the Bay Area?
0: No, I mean further north. People always think when I say northern California that I mean like the nice parts like the Bay Area or yeah. like and like immediately north of the Bay Area you have like wine country and things that are pretty. Yeah. Uh, but I'm talking about what I-5 does, just keeps going. <laughs> Eventually
1: Crescent City is the <laughs> northernmost city in California and I did a set there. I did a show there not knowing how far away it was when yeah. I first moved here. It's 16 hours from Los Angeles.
0: Well, it's always ridiculous to drive to Oregon to realize you get to my house there's still seven hours of California left.
1: Wow. What was the name of the town?
0: It's called... It's. I'm from just outside of Yuba City.
1: Yuba City. Okay. Because yeah. Andy grew up in uh, Oroville.
0: Oh, seriously? Yeah. That's awesome. I recently did a show at Chico State, and it was so weird to be performing for these little children right. who are from my world. There was uh, a cute boy in the audience I talked to when he was from Oroville, and it's like, wow, Indian casinos
1: and the dam that my grandpa helped build. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, well, Andy, when Andy found out about the Indian casino, because there's, there's a comedy at that, or There used to be, uh, I'm sure Barry Neal has somehow destroyed it, but, uh, the, uh, but the, the, Indian Casino, and he was like, no, no, Oroville is famous for having one Indian in 1912. Ishi, Ishi yes. Yeah, Ishi came down from the mountains, and he was the last Indian. So how the hell can there be an Indian Casino? And I was like, well, the Chumash were everywhere. I understand. <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, I let... And so it went, and when he, we... And I've told this story before, of course, because I have 19 stories. And the, uh, so we went to Oroville... For me to do stand-up comedy, because his moms don't live there anymore. They live in Lindsay, yeah, which is where the olives are from. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And the uh, um, so we go to um, we go to Oroville, and I was like, "Give me the tour of Oroville," and he's like, "Yeah, you see that car with the, up on blocks? There's a tour of Oroville." And I said, <laughs> "No, you have to give me the Norman Rockwell tour of Oroville. I can do my own meth lab tour of any damn city in the country." So he did, and we got to see the dam, and the dam is beautiful. Yes.
0: But there, there is something about Northern California that there just isn't a Norman Rockwell element of it, and I felt weird about that, that everybody was from a place and I'm not. And then have you ever read any Joan Didion? I haven't. Um like she's- I know her name, what, what has uh, she written? Uh, she wrote a bunch of stuff in the and 60s. It
1: sounds Armenian. <laughs>
0: Um, she, she wrote this, uh, thing called the white album, but she did a lot of sort of like journalism where she would go and experience something and then talk shit about it. Oh God. Okay. She has an essay called on self-respect <laughs> that is the best thing ever. She just, she talks shit about herself, like just talking shit about wh- what an idiot she it's was when she was 20. It's not just
1: self-deprecating. It's, it's just, it's, it's, I was a genuine idiot.
0: Like it's, it's colder. It's self-deprecating, but it's a little bit like colder and more brittle wow. than that. Um, like... Is
1: that how she is, is that the kind of stuff she writes? When, when, When she shits on stuff, is she really cold about it?
0: Yeah, she's like, she's really cold and awesome, but like so introspective. And she very recently famously wrote this book called The Year of Magical Thinking, which was about her husband and her daughter dying like within a year of each other. And it's just. Holy
1: crap. Fucking
0: brutal. Right. Um, but like she's awesome and like weirdly funny. In, in an awesome kind of way, but she's from up there where we're from, and yeah. just sort of talking about this experience of, like, nobody's from there. Like, nobody's from there. Everybody's just showing up, and then these people who have been there for 30 years longer are like, get the fuck out of our space. Well, um
1: Well, is it – because the thing is, is Oroville doesn't seem – I mean, it does seem sort of like an oaky kind of, you know, people wander around and, and then there's, there's, there's so much agriculture all over California. Yeah. That it's, that it's that nomadic, uh, kind of, um, what is the word I'm looking for with the agricultural? Like migrant workers. farm labor. Migrant farm labor.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, my hometown, it's a, ridic- like, it's a ridiculously interesting hometown. Right. Um, despite the fact that it was super boring. But <laughs> well, like, it's all of these okies who showed up during mm-hmm. the Dust Bowl. Mm-hmm. So like one third those people. Um, where like everybody's related but from Oklahoma. Like, right. Um, and then one third Mexicans. Okay. And then one third Punjabi Sikhs who came. Oh, okay. Um, right after World War Two, which meant that like. Wait,
1: you, there's a Punjabi Sikh. A community in Yuba City that have been there since the late 40s?
0: It's, okay, here's what's awesome about it. You don't realize it. So you grow up with these kids and like you just internalize understanding of things like what religion everybody is because that's a necessary thing. Like even though you're six and you don't understand why, you understand that those are hindus those are muslims and those are sikhs because of these little indicators and stuff okay then you're in high school and you find out everybody's grandma is a mexican everybody's paternal <laughs> grandmother is a mexican because you couldn't bring uh women couldn't emigrate from asia because of the asian exclusion act so everybody's dad's right. uh, like so their mom like came over from india in like the 70s but their grandmas are all mexican
1: why right, uh, because the guys all married mexican women yes okay
0: um and And so there's, like, this crazy community, and everybody, when they think of, like, Indians think of, like, doctors or engineers. Right. And to me, like, it's an old prune farmer drinking (laughs) Jack Daniels straight from the bottle.
1: Right. Right. Wow. Wow. Talk about proof that humans are just complete, just they're the same people. It doesn't matter. Holy, yeah, I remember them. I vaguely remember the Asian Exclusion Act. So when I asked you what your dorkdom was and you told me that it was um Canadian politics and history, uh, I thought to myself, is Guy Branham Canadian? And you are not. You are not Canadian. Not rem- But you are fa- fascinated with Canada.
0: People always assume... That no one could possibly be interested in Canada unless you were Canadian, <laughs> but even Canadians aren't interested in Canada.
1: Well, that that is what I have found because yes. I am interested in Canada, and the Canadians all blow it off. They're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, don't worry about it.
0: Well, and that's one of the things I think is fascinating is you have this, this very, very subtle identity where, like, they spent you know a long time very much with with Britain telling them who they were and trying to be like. Act like they're on a tiny little island while they're in the second largest country in the world. Right. Uh, and then, you know, America is this overwhelming, like, influence that has periodically tried to go and conquer them. Right. Um, but also they're, they're indistinguishable from us. Um, and. Right, it's a weird blur, and there's only, what, 25, 30 million people up right. there, right? Right. And it's the size of the United States. Uh, it's, like, it's bigger than the United States. And also, like, it's, it's got A huge economy. Like, their economy is just about taking their natural resources, extracting them, and selling them to other people. But it's huge. There was um, a thing in the... So one of the
1: major industries of Canada, is it logging and Uh, and natural gas? It's the
0: fact that they have a shitload of oil right now. They're doing very, very well. The Canadian dollar is worth a little bit more than the American dollar.
1: I think it's 91 cents because I'm going, I'm doing Toronto in January. (laughs) I'm Very jealous.
0: (laughs) Um, But they have these tar sands up in Alberta that you can get oil out of, but it's very expensive. They have the second largest oil reserves in the world. It's just so full of sand and grit, like the stuff that you pump out of Saudi Arabia. That, that stuff's ready to go in a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, it is, they used to have a shitload of asbestos, but they don't mind that anymore, um, <laughs> in Quebec. Uh-huh. Um, and then they have a, they, they sell us a bunch of power because they have all of these rivers that they have hydroelectric dams on. Oh,
1: right, right. Yes. Okay. So, um, and, y- and yet we think of it as this great like wild country, and they're so. I, you know, the, here's here's in my knee jerk reaction to Canada, mm-hmm. they're better than Indians. They were always better than Native Americans. Oh God, they no. They, well, I mean, when you scratch the surface of that, they were they were the same. Yes. It was just they was there was a lot of talk, but not.
0: I mean, the the one way they were nicer is that Canadians are very organized and follow follow directions. So like we were all like, Oklahoma, I'm headed there. And just sort of like, you know, rushed in places. They um, were sort of
1: like oh, so the Native Americans had m- more warning, had more warning, <laughs> but
0: also don't have the legal protections that Native Americans of the United States have because we like. We, since the 70s or so, have been enforcing the treaties that we made. Okay. Um. So, like, up in Minnesota, um, what's that big lake? Um, the, uh, the Superior. No, no, no the okay. the one that uh, it's one of the the big lakes actually in Minnesota, but like. Uh, the native americans there have huge fishing rights because of a treaty they signed in the 19th century okay. that they are able to enforce so that other people can't fish there so they get all the walleyed pike okay um but the first nations in canada it is just a reflection of them deciding to be nice later on and they gave uh they gave the first nations their own, like, more the Inuit people, their own territory. So okay. there's this thing called none of it now that, like, they took half of the Northwest territory and said, you guys have your own states. Okay. Also, grass doesn't grow there.
1: Right. And, uh, <laughs> it is, it is Arctic yes. almost. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So they, so they, it's essentially just a reservation with a, you know, much like we did where we're pretty sure this is useless land. You can yes. have it. And then they're going to find out that there's a giant diamond under there or that's where the sun lives.
0: What <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite stories, um, when I was in Minnesota in law school was, um, the Prairie Islands <laughs> Reservation had gotten too big. Like the fact that they were a reservation, which is in North Dakota. Uh No, Prairie Island is is on. Oh wait,
1: wait, Prairie Island isn't yes. that adjacent to Minneapolis or? Yeah, yeah, it's okay, super
0: close. So they like they had the reservation. So they like we're gonna make some money. Um, and they had a nuclear power plant, right, and a casino, right. Um, and they started out, and they were all making like the per capita income was three thousand dollars a year. After those two, they raised their per capita income to $6,000 a year and were storing spent fuel rods 300 yards from their daycare.
1: Oh my God.
0: It was hilarious.
1: <laughs> in a, in a not great, uh, yeah. Well, the, I know that, um, you know, here's what I know about Wisconsin and the Indian casinos is that, um, cause I'm from Wisconsin originally yeah. and all of the, the Indian casinos in northern Wisconsin started Buying land, and I know that because I did stand up in Minnesota and Wisconsin, right. and comics would talk about how, you know, we stole the land from them, but now they were buying it back with the money from our elderly, <laughs> uh, and uh, and so they would buy all this land in northern Wisconsin and add it to the reservation. And once you add it to the reservation, it's part of it's no longer taxable. Yeah, and um, well, the state of Wisconsin. Full of some of the most charming people today. <laughs> anyway, but uh, the state of Wisconsin said, and this is probably 15 years ago, said, well, we're going to go to the federal government and just have the Department uh, of the Interior give the land that you bought uh, back to us oh. unless you are willing to pay uh, county taxes and state taxes. And they said... One moment, please. And then they did a little huddle. They might call it a powwow, yeah, uh, uh, jackassery. Anyway, but they, uh, they, uh, they, they, they gathered and they were like, "Here's what we'll do. We'll make we we're willing to donate to the county and to the state for the upkeep of all the roads, mm-hmm. all of the electricity, and all of the plumbing. So we'll do sewage." We'll just take care of it. And then we'll just keep buying land. And, uh, and, and it'll all work out. It'll all work out. Don't worry about it. You don't have to get the federal government involved. So that's, I mean, to my knowledge, that's where they've left it. That's savvy work. Yeah, that, that's, that's really that's savvy. That's good legal
0: work. Um, And one of the cool things about going to the University of Minnesota is that they had a really good uh, Native American law program.
1: Well, Minneapolis is the largest uh, urban Native American population in the country.
0: Uh, Jackie, my apartment was directly (laughs) in between the Minneapolis Indian Center and the closest liquor store.
1: Hello, Franklin. You lived (laughs) on Franklin. Yes, I lived on Franklin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I used to live – wait, or Lake. Was it Lake? No, it was Franklin. It was on Franklin. Okay, because Lake Street and Franklin Street are both – Pretty dirtbaggy when you got that far. By the way, that entire Native American area is yeah. now, um. The Powder Horn? <laughs> no, well, it's, uh, now it's Mexican. Oh, yes. Yeah, because in Minneapolis, immigration in Minneapolis was f- fascinating because it was all Laotians in the late 70s, of course. Uh-huh. But, uh, and they came mostly to Milwaukee and, and then some to Minneapolis and, But in the, I think it was in the late 80s, huge influx of Ethiopians and the Sudanese, right? So I show up from California where I'm used
0: to paying $6 for getting a good flavorful meal, uh, from an immigrant family who's still living on third world, uh, uh, you know, income. And I go to Minnesota and it's like, we have pancakes, like we can, or you can go to a steakhouse, which meant...
1: Right. Would, would you like some meat <laughs> that's been overcooked or would you like some vegetables that's been overcooked?
0: Which meant I developed a far too close relationship with Southeast, like it was Southeast Asian food or East African food. And right. I... Um, when uh, did you go to college though? Was it in
1: uh, the 90s? It was
0: 98 to 2001. Okay. Um, so... White people did not... There was one Ethiopian restaurant that white people went to, and I didn't go to that one because I'm from fucking California. (laughs) Um, But it led to a situation of... There's a raw beef dish, and I ordered it, and I said I wanted it raw, and um, she brought it to me cooked.
1: You know why? Because uh, Americans don't like that, and they yes. never pay for it, and so they get all mad.
0: Um, So I yelled at her. Like It's the only time that I was honestly like, no, you fix this. And I made her teach me in Amharic how to say raw and spicy. And, right. And those ladies... Respected me so much after that, I, like I just felt so proud of myself. It's,
1: you know the kudos that you get when you go to <laughs> when you go to a restaurant owned by the actual people from that country, and they respect you because well, there's a Thai restaurant right here in Van Nuys. Yes, and Andy and I go there a lot, and it's lovely, and it's open until three in the morning, which nothing in Los Angeles is. And it's and it, you know how there's in Los Angeles there's a lot of really bad, shitty Thai yeah. food. Yeah, it's very greasy and disgusting. Right. So when I first moved here, I ate a lot of Thai food because Everybody was like, we're going out for Thai. Yeah. And, uh, and I began to hate Thai food. And then we found this place, Thai. It's on Sherman Way over by Fulton. Uh-huh. Very nice. Now, um, we go there one day. With Michael Everson, who was just on the Dork Forest not long ago, talking about fonts. Uh-huh. And, uh, because he did a font for the Inuit. Oh. Yeah, he he made it possible for Inuit people to text each other in Inuit. <laughs> and, uh, yes, and he, he, was in, he was in the United States because the Cherokee were honoring him because he had just done, um, yeah. the Ch- Cherokee language. So, um... We go, well, he travels all over the place because of his stupid font, because of his awesome stupid font, uh, thing. So he had just been in Thailand and we ordered this raw blue, blue crab salad and the waitress actually said, you know, Americans don't like that. And we're like, we promised to choke it down if possible. Yeah. And we promised to pay for it in any case. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to waste the blue crab because it's raw. <laughs> yeah. It's, the blue crab's raw. And we did eat it, uh, and then we got it mild uh-huh. and None of us could finish it. It really? was so spicy. It was yeah. amazingly spicy and, but it was very good, uh, if you could get past the fact that your face was on fire. How Wisconsinite is your mouth? Oh uh, it's not bad. I mean I was raised uh I didn't have a bagel until I was 19. Uh-huh. And uh and but you're Armenian, right? Armenian so I can eat cumin. Sure yeah. I can eat I mean I can eat Middle Eastern food, you know, yeah. forever and and okra uh-huh. and it's fine but I can't uh there was no spicy food until I went to Madison. That's where I went to College, yeah. University of Wisconsin. And I remember the first like there's a Tibetan Himalayan restaurant uh-huh. on State Street yeah. that is really really good. I just had I had lunch eight, nine months ago with John Kavalik there and um it is super spicy and really I found it interesting. My parents do not. Yeah. Uh they do they are, they were never interested.
0: Um it's parents are parents are interesting like um you know my parents will be very very adventuresome about some stuff uh but like my mom when i took her to east african food she was just like nope
1: nope i will not be returning (laughs) yes there's an african uh, restaurant over uh, right past sepulveda on uh and it's east african and i forget what country yeah but, uh, we ordered a bunch of food and no one will go back with me. There was a lot of goat. Yes. And, uh, I don't mind goat. I mean, it's, it's an, it's an acquired taste. Like Andy doesn't particularly like lamb very much. He doesn't yeah. dislike it, but he wasn't raised on it as a delicacy. Yeah. Where your dad's like, no, I'm going to be eating this. And then all of a sudden you want it. Yes. Cause he likes it. Yes. And so, that, so that's what I think of lamb. You know, I love lamb.
0: There was something very cool about being in Minnesota and like there are these super – like it started me on this thing of if there's a supermarket nearby for some ethnic group that I do not belong to, I'll go in there and I'll learn. Just because there were things like getting an avocado in Minnesota isn't really an option, Uh,
1: but (laughs) – It's not an easy uh, (laughs) thing.
0: (laughs) But those Mexican – like the the Mexican supermarkets uh, in the the Powderhorn had them. And they were cheap. They were so much cheaper than they were at Lund's. Right. Um, and so I would go there and, and do that. And then once you're there, you you start trying to figure things out. And like with you know when I was in Minnesota, I would just go get a man cut up some goat for me, and then figure out what I do with some goat.
1: There's a Korean. Um, there's an awesome Korean supermarket over uh, west of here that I like to go to for fish because they. Um, It's, I mean, they have a lot of fish and it's super fresh, except for that it's also, it smells fishy, like they're not necessarily, you know, every night they're not taking everything out, bleaching it and then starting over the next day. They're just, you know, wiping it down and then the next day there's more fish.
0: Korean markets always have that smell of We've been setting our meat out to marinate. <laughs> right, and, right. Uh, and
1: we invented kimchi. Leave us alone. Yes. You know? uh,
0: my mom, when I like when I went to the Ethiopian place for the first time, I was like, there. It was like twenty two years old, and my mom worked in a cafeteria, and so I was like, hey, is it all right for me to eat this raw beef? And she was like. They know what they're doing. Oh, good for her. <laughs> yes. I Like her response, she has so much respect for old ethnic ladies and the oh, notion that, like,
1: yeah, yeah, she, they know
0: what they're doing.
1: <laughs> right, right. This the, They got old on purpose. I yes. Mean, is, <laughs> they know what they're serving their own children. I know. The weird thing about Lund's, Rangers of the Dark Forest, is that it's the only grocery store I've ever been into that has carpeting.
0: No, you're talking about Byerly's.
1: Oh, is it Byerly's?
0: Yes. <laughs> but there, there was because Lunds was Busted. the fa- Lunds yeah, yeah. was the fancy supermarket that was in Minneapolis. But then Byerly's is this crazy fancier supermarket in like a Diner in a Diner. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous.
1: Yes, yes, it is ridiculous. It has carpeting and there's food. What and are the, you
0: doing? And there's chandeliers. It's amazing.
1: The lighting is ridiculous. It's very romantic. And they also
0: have these ridiculous setups because it's so cold, and you're a rich lawyer's wife, so that you don't have to carry your stuff out to your car in the cold. Oh you, right! You just like pull up, and there's a weird conveyor belt that has your your right, right? Stuff they, on it. They,
1: yeah, they they send stuff out, and then and sometimes there's a kid that'll go out with you, like it's 1952.
0: Oh, and, there was, and have, you
1: th- can't tip them. Like have, I've tried to, t- I tried to tip the kid because I don't, I I live in a world where nobody does
0: California, things,
1: right? And people should be tipped <laughs> if you yes. are doing something extra. And the kid was like, I actually will get fired if I take that.
0: Uh, learning that teenagers are the Mexicans of the Midwest was the most like mind. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. That's why people in the Midwest have children. (laughs) You can make someone cut your lawn so that you can make someone shovel your – I remember when uh, my dad came back into our lives uh, when I was uh, seven because my parents had separated and my mom died. And and then – so my dad comes back into our lives and we have – my oldest brother was 17 and so he was gone. But I have three – so then I have three older brothers and my older sister and myself. And winter comes Uh, (laughs) – And all of a sudden we are all handed shovels. Because now we live in a house. We don't yeah. live in an apartment stack yeah. like Cordwood like crazies. Uh we live in a house and sh- and my stepmother's like, No, no, your father will have a heart attack if he has to shovel this, this driveway. <laughs> and I look back at it, I think he was thirty five. Yeah. Uh no he's not. He's not gonna get a heart attack. And pay someone twenty bucks it was a really long driveway. Yeah. So yeah, that's a great story. That's how it ends, though. That's, that's all right. So, w- talk to me about Canadian hey, history. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's one
0: of the very, like, one of the very real things about Canada is you might die. Like, everywhere around you, there's <laughs> a constant you might die. Um, and, like, I, I fell in love with Canada just as a concept. Two things. First of all, like growing up with a world book encyclopedia, you've got these articles like about all of the states and I loved going into just like a hole of just like reading an article. Right. I liked the M encyclopedia because it had the mythology article in it. Okay. But it also, that led me to Massachusetts and Michigan and then Manitoba and I'm like, what the fuck is Manitoba? (laughs) And it's set up just like a state because they sold the world book encyclopedias to both the United States and Canada. Why not? They all speak English. Right. Um, But they have stuff about a state in the same way. And then you realize they have stuff about the prime ministers, like the same kind of articles as you have for a president. the presidents, yeah. But it's kind of ridiculous because some of these prime ministers only served for like nine months or something like that. It's not like a president.
1: Because oh, it's, it's a parliamentary appointee kind of situation. Yes.
0: So, I mean, it just leads to the weird way that Canada is always trying to work along systems that work for either Britain or the United States, but don't work for them. And frequently, like, try to combine the two of them in a way that's just ridiculous. Like? Um, okay. <laughs> they have a federal parliamentary system, which is fucked up. So in a parliamentary system, all powers in the parliament, whoever has the most seats in the parliament, is in control of everything. There isn't separation of powers. Here, we have separation of powers. We have 50 states. Each each of those states is sovereign. They can run their own shit. Canada confederates in 1867, a couple of years after our civil war. So they're like, we don't want their problems. So they set up a system where it's totally centralized. It's very centralized, but all of their they they do have parliaments for each of their provinces who have this unitary system but they have a very limited number of powers so it leads to this fucked up situation of having weird third parties exist in like I, uh right now the greens and the libertarians essentially the green party and the and the dfl yeah. uh, not democrat uh, farm labor uh, no it's the um the new democrats control uh, control, uh, British Columbia. Forever, you had, uh, Quebec voting for, you know, give, sending only Quebec separatists to the parliament. So you had, like, all of these crazy different parties competing, and in a parliamentary system, that's still whoever gets the most votes wins. But, you've got, like, five viable parties, which means you have parties that are getting, like, 20, 30% of the vote, but not getting anybody elected, which means in 1988, their Republican party stopped existing. Oh. Like, um, th- okay, so their conservative party. Yeah. He's running the country. 1984, Brian Mulroney, he's running the party. Right. Um, he sort of like fucks up, people don't like him. Um, and then they have an election and his party does all right, but smaller parties also do okay, which means only two conservatives get elected and everyone else is a liberal. You think that's crazy. One of their parties just stopped existing. And it sort of
1: well, wait, wait. See, this is this is where the whole Canadian thing falls apart for me because I'm like whoever ha- controls the Parliament appoints a prime minister, right? Yes. So if there's only Two conservatives who are sent from each of the provinces to the main thing. How can, how can Brian Mulroney still be prime minister? He's not
0: prime minister anymore. Like. In
1: 1988, because he fucked up and they knock him out. So then, the majority, like the, the Greens are the majority, but there's only 27%. Are they then in charge of everything? They're in
0: charge of everything. It was the, it was the, so the Liberal Party, they're just in charge of everything because there was a weird sort of like Ross Perot-like, Reform movement that happened right. in Alberta. Alberta is their Texas. So it, it, it
1: splintered so, so into so many parties that the winner was some sort of twelve percent party. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Um, Weird. Yes. So that so that uh, the so the majority party was the Liberals, and then the second biggest party were uh, the the Black Québécois, who don't want to be in Canada. Right. <laughs> um, so you think that's crazy until the election that happened like two years ago. The same thing happened in reverse, like crazy, oh, right, right, crazy splinter leftist party that started off as this weird, like separatist um, prairie pro- party suddenly does crazy well in Quebec. Um, and then the Liberals disappear and the Conservatives, without a majority backing from the country, are running the country. So it's a so – like it's the world's stupidest political system because charisma doesn't matter in the same way. Like, right. um b- Because Canadians feel like they shouldn't matter. All right? the, the big story I need to tell you is right. – The big story I need to tell you is the Great Canadian Flag Debate. Okay. Okay. So okay. it is 1963. Uh, the Liberal Party of Canada um has said, like starting in the early part of the 20th century, the Liberal Party of Canada realized what you always want is a guy whose mom is Irish, but dad is French to run for for prime minister that way he can connect with the English speakers, he can connect with the French speakers. they did a study it 's all good no you no, no they just like they happened upon it with um this guy, I guess Louis saint Laurent was the first or no no, no it would have been um uh, oh, that, that first, uh, Sir Louis something. Anyway, with like their first French- I'll put it in the notes. <laughs> their first French-speaking prime minister, like, they, they really got it. Louis Saint Laurent was the first one who was half-Irish. Point is, French people can be charismatic. French people can be exciting. But, like, all of their English politicians were just, the English speakers were just very, very responsible and very much like, what does London say we should do? Like, we should be responsible to that. Let's not be, noteworthy in any way and like they would like when when england went into world war one there were they were saying like we like there were people who were like we should declare war to be on england's side and like no we don't have to declare war we're still part of england like that was their big
1: debate um wait wait they said we don't have to declare war because that we already have essentially because uh, we're part of england and then other people are like but we're, we're our own country we should declare war they didn't like so they Can, couldn't tell that they were their own country. Canada,
0: Canada <laughs> didn't. Canada didn't know if it was its own country. Like their <laughs> their process of independence is. I'm sorry, Canadians, that actually very funny. It's so slow. Like um, it isn't until 1931 that they get most of control over themselves. Until that point in time, Parm- uh, Parliament in London could just be like, "No, you're doing this, or we're taxing you like this," and they just had to take it.
1: Okay. Okay. So in 31, they decided. We should actually be in charge of our own destiny a little bit.
0: They did not decide it. London was like, you guys should probably, like, it's time, for, it, it was mom saying it's time for you to move out of the house. Wow. Okay. So, um, in 1963, they're like old, half French, Half uh, Irish guy retires, right? And the Liberal Party has to pick a new leader. They get a nice diplomat from the UN. It's the sort of thing America would never do. Of like, hey, get out of the way, local politicians who really just want to be politicians. This man is a is a responsible diplomat and professor. We'll let him be in charge. Like it was, he was the Al Gore.
1: They went went like an academic.
0: Yes, they went to an academic.
1: He. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's part of me that's like, oh yeah, that guy. He's been studying how it ought to be done. <laughs> yes. It,
0: it, which is what Canada is all about. And so this guy, he had previously served as um, uh, Minister of External Affairs. They couldn't have a Minister of Foreign Affairs because they're not a country. Oh. Uh, so he – and one of the things he says in his big campaign in 63 is, we're going to get a flag. And – the nation goes crazy. They go nuts. He goes to a meeting of their veterans of foreign wars and says, we're going to pick a flag. And they go, apeshit. No. We died under the Union Jack. We are British citizens. This is... We're not doing it. We're not doing it. Well, at the same time, a quarter of this country are French people, like French speakers, who rioted every time that they were drafted into the military. They were like, this is somebody else's war. Right. And, like, in 1960, like... Quebec changes. In 1960, it's one of the awesomest things ever. They just, like, start managing their shit. They start building all of these hydroelectric dams, and they're like, shit's changing. Um, and he realizes it, but, like, the English speakers who have been running this country forever... Um, don't are, notice. Don't notice. <laughs> um, so uh, Lester Pearson, Mike Pearson, uh, says they're going to have a flag of their own.
1: Why and- Lester Pearson,
0: Mike Pearson? Oh, but- it, it's like, it's the most Canadian of stories. So this guy, he's, um, this is the, the academic professor guy. Right. Um, and he was like a kick-ass hockey player when he was a, a young kid. Uh, and his name was Lester Pearson, which is the dorkiest of names. Yes. And he went to England to learn how to uh, fly planes in world war one. And the British guy who was training him was like, you can't kill people
1: named Lester. I'm going to call you Mike. Um, wait, his flight instructor was like, Lester's queer. We're yeah, not doing it. Yes. Charming. Uh, charming. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So, um, like
0: the, the evil, awesome Nixon of Canada, There's right. this guy, uh, named John Diefenbaker, who's like just a surly conservative from Manitoba or Saskatchewan. <laughs> Saskatchewan. Uh, and he's like, no, we're not gonna have a flag of our own. The, the flag that uh, Canada used at the time was what you would use for a boat. It was what you would use for a British boat that docked in Canada. Um, and so- That was
1: their flag was the sort of the, the international Like maritime flag or something. It was
0: like it was essentially saying that Canada is a big British boat. Um, I'm gonna
1: I'm gonna find that and put an image on the notes. uh, uh,
0: It's the Canadian red ensign, and so there was this huge argument about. He was basically saying if we pick something that doesn't reference the fact that we're a part of England with some sort of like Frenchness to us we don 't mean anything w- what are we and it was crazy because he was the first Canadian prime minister who wasn 't of either English or French extraction, Diefenbaker. he had been um prime minister from fifty seven until sixty three so they have this huge fucking argument. Everybody is throwing concepts for what this flag could look like right um, and then finally, they end up settling on the the, the ma- maple leaf. the maple leaf um which was like. Very universal and very reflective of sort of just that Canada is about geography, that right. Canada is about nature it 's about this overwhelming nature that could kill you right. but still, even at that, there aren 't maple trees east of Ontario like they 're just Ontario and Quebec <laughs> um, but uh like for a good like four or five years, they were just fighting constantly internally about whether they should have a flag of their own right and I was like. Well, that's, that's crazy, but also they were just a little country. And I looked at the stats, cause they have, cause they have the eighth largest economy in the, in the world now, but I was like, what did they have in 1964? They had the sixth largest economy on the planet. Wow. And they were like... And they still had only 14 million people. Yes. Um, because, like, they are ridiculously badass. Like, when, when, when the storming of Normandy happened, they got further in less time than either the British or the Americans. Like, every time Britain has fought a war... The like, Canadians are on the f- for- forefront? Yeah. I mean, they throw Canadians at a problem um, to to <laughs> fix it. And Canada always kicks ass. Canada's never had a war of its own. Like, Canada has only gone to war um, defending British interests. War of 1812, nobody ever talks about. We tried to steal Canada. Like, right. Like, War of 1812 is just like... Um, Britain is exhausted from the Napoleonic Wars. We can probably steal Canada. Right. And those motherfuckers did not, uh, like, yeah, there were some British troops uh, in Quebec City uh, and, and Montreal, but it was pretty much just those fuckers grabbing guns and saying, get the fuck off of my lawn. And, yeah. <laughs> like, the awesomest thing about Canada – okay, two more things I will tell you. Yes, please. Um, okay. <laughs> it's For, the best. First of all, you never think about where those English-speaking Canadians came from, the first ones, because – Like, I was like, well, how come when we rebelled, why didn't they rebel? Like, why didn't they? And the answer, yeah.
1: Like you mean in seventeen seventy six? In seventeen seventy-six.
0: Okay. Why didn't they come with us? And the answer is there pretty much weren't English speakers there. We had It was mostly French, it, right? Yes. Like there were only like ten thousand English speakers. Uh Britain had only had most of Canada for about ten years at that point. It was
1: literally ten years. Yes. I remember that because of the French and American War fr- was it, yeah. yeah.
0: So England or France either got to keep Guadeloupe and islands for all of Canada. And um, <laughs> Voltaire famously referred to it as a couple of acres of snow. Uh, oh. They were just like, it's fucking useless. Okay. Um, so then when we had the revolution at the end, what do we do with all of these loyalists? What do we do with all of these people who still want to be part of the, the British, British Empire? Empire? So Britain and also black people who had fought for oh, right. for the British... Um, We're
1: now slaves again.
0: Well, uh, they got freed because they were still like held by the British. Um, So like 10,000 black people went up to uh, Nova Scotia and got treated very poorly for the next hundred years. Oh,
1: fantastic. Uh, (laughs) But like 70,000,
0: 70,000, they call them United Empire loyalists went up there. And the first Canadians were people who did not want to live in a democracy. like, it, there they was, were
1: monarchists.
0: There was a guy who said, I would rather be ruled by one tyrant 3,000 miles away than 3,000 tyrants one mile away, which is
1: – That's a great line. Put that – sew that on a thing, Betsy Ross. Come um, on.
0: But there are also no famous people from that era.
1: From that group? Yeah. <laughs> that group is a bunch of, just a bunch of whiners. Those,
0: no, those guys are, yeah, those guys are just, I wanna have an, like, I wanna fucking have my shop, leave me alone, I'm not about public life, I just wanna, like, do my shit, but also, I am
1: British. Um, it's so weird, since it was so much about taxation, you know? Yes um but it was also because a- you would think all these all, all these cuz they were probably small business owners mm-hmm. which it's a classic i'm a lapsed billionaire <laughs> you know it's just like you know um yeah you can tax me but i because you know, Americans are all about everyone's a lapsed billionaire. Right. Uh-huh. Everybody thinks that, well, that's why, that's why we need to protect the rich is because I'm one day going to be rich. Yes. Those 70,000 Canadians are like, I'm never going to be rich. I'm going to need there to be a waterway and a road and that's fine. You they're can the, tax they're me. the most
0: sensible fucking people on the planet. <laughs> um, and it's what's, it's what's terrible about them. It's so, it, it's so awful that they, don't go and achieve things, you know? Like, um. They're just plugging along. They're just plugging along. The first time they disobey England, uh, is 1954. Um, that, that academic, Mike Pearson, um, he's at the UN and, uh, the British and the French, like, uh, the Egypt tries to take the Suez Canal back. British and the French go in and they need peacekeeping troops. That's the first time. Canada does something that England doesn't want. Canada goes in as those uh, peacekeeping troops, and it's a thing. Like it's a problem. What the fuck you're doing? The some- British are like, what are you even doing? There? Is this allowed? <laughs> um, and like, you know, it's a it's a real problem for for Canada. But they they start to develop something of a sense of independence. Just how much Canada's road to self-definition has been refusing things, instead of saying, this is who I am, saying, this is who I'm not. This For sto- example. <laughs> the story is awesome. It is so fucking subtle. All okay. right. We're talking about Mike Pearson again, okay? Okay. His, his wife was named Marion. And in the beginning, the governor of Canada, the governor general of Canada, was someone appointed by the king or queen, prime minister, actually, okay. um, to come and actually rule things. But eventually, it just came to a point where the Canadian prime minister Pick some guy who's had a nice career, and that guy is the governor general. Okay. But it's still the representative of the Queen. That person is still okay. like insert monarch here. Yeah. So Lester Pearson appoints just like a, a good old liberal politician to be governor general, um, a Roland Michener. And Roland's wife is very full of herself. She's now the <laughs> wife of the Governor General, and she like sends out a thing telling everyone what court etiquette is going to be when they're around. Um, and Marianne Pearson reads this and she says, Nora Mitchner wants me to curtsy to her. <laughs> and, um, Lester Pearson says, yeah, she's the vice range. She's the wife of the governor general. Yeah, yeah. She, you have to, uh, to which Marian Pearson responded, it's Nora Mitchner And like, <laughs> that is... Canada, like Canada is just like looking at this thing, seeing it's ridiculous, not wanting to fight it. Like Americans are so much about fight. Um, and I, like, as a gay person, there's something fascinating about this very subtle identity of they look just like us, they sound just like us, right. and they're constantly having to deal with our overwhelming culture coming at them. Uh, Margaret Atwood said that the U.S.-Canadian border was the longest undefended one-way mirror. Like, <laughs> we don't know that they exist, but they know everything about us. Right. Um, right. And like... Uh, y- the The saying "as American as apple pie." In the '60s, when they were having this real crisis of identity, they had a radio competition, uh, and it was uh, as Canadian as blank, as Canadian as this, as Canadian oh, okay. as that. Um, and the well, one they th-
1: were trying to come up with something.
0: Yes, because they're always trying to f- to fill spaces like us. America does this, and that was one of the things with the flag. Was like in the U.S., people wrap themselves in the flag, and the. They were saying, we don't do that. That's not how our country works before they got the flag and now they wrap themselves in it. Right. Um, but, uh, the winner of as Canadian as was as Canadian under the, cer- as Canadian as possible under the circumstances. <laughs> um, which is a hilarious joke. Yes. That speaks beautifully to the fact that it, it is this terribly fluid identity. And the fact that the French speaking Canadians are the only people who are really they're not british or american so they are themselves and even though they are the the people who are fucked over by that society who have really been treated poorly by canada over the years english speaking canadians still envy them as the cool kids because at least they've got their thing
1: right right like okay um, oh wow
0: so there's this weird way that like the only politicians with swagger are french speakers or Anyone speaking O Canada or anyone singing O Canada in English is a little bit small and subtle there are no great versions of O Canada in English and they produce great singers but Celine Dion kills the fuck out of that song because it's all she's
1: got. Wait, what wait a minute. So when when Celine Dion sings O Canada because she is French Canadian, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So does she sing it in French?
0: Yes, there are two versions and that's the thing. It's it's very interesting legally. You have to have everything in English and, and French. In French. And actually but only
1: in Quebec or all over
0: Canada? All over Canada. Like um in Quebec everything printed has to be printed in french at least okay um and then there are significant r- rules elsewhere like new brunswick has specific uh constitutional things about having french but everyone but national stuff like uh the constitution right would you like to know when canada's constitution was written <laughs> when 1982 what?
1: When, when they people, didn't they never had a constitution before. They were they were working off the Magna Carta. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like
0: like England, they had an unwritten constitution and finally Pierre Trudeau was like, We're gonna have a Bill of Rights and stuff and they wrote it in eighty two. But it meant that they had to figure out a lot of problems that hadn't been, been, addressed. hadn't been addressed. So a lot of shit as to how separate and how special is Quebec okay. became an issue and then the other provinces got whiny. Aren't we distinct <laughs> societies too? But the great thing about the national anthem is like it's this kind of responsible song in English about like we're always we're we're on guard for the like we're prepared if the Americans try to invade. Right. But the the French version... They talk about flowers and the cross and, what? um, <laughs> uh, like amazing exploits. Uh, okay. Wow. Just, I will put that in the notes. It's so much more exciting. And then even like Alanis Morissette is a great singer. Jan Harden yep. is a great singer, but like when they sing and these days, like our, our politically correct thing is you, you sing a version that's a little bit French, a little bit English. Oh, really? And everybody's excited, but still nobody kills it. Like The French ladies kill it because they have a sense of like an organic community Mm -hmm. that I feel like, um, so many Canadians, especially in Ontario, um, are behaving as though we live here for now. I live north of the United States. I am visiting from Britain. Okay. um, And it's not super explicit. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that a Canadian listening to this would be like, Oh guys. Oh, I've got
1: Canadian listeners.
0: Like you don't know what you're talking about, um, but as as an exterior observer, you see the ways that they're they're being defined by these outside sources. Where, like, uh, there is a sense you
1: studied of- it so much that your perspective is, I mean, very subjective, of course, but yes, and and and, and no doubt different from that of a Canadian, but right. it is fascinating and. And as the Dork Forest, you get to have your enthusiastic opinion. So feel free to write, folks. You can write at Guy B- uh, Branham on Twitter and, uh, and com too, by the yes. way. So yeah. So but I, but I think that, the that the perspective, the distance that you have and the fascination with it is at least interesting to well, Canadians, there, probably.
0: Well, there's something about the American, it's fascinating. The American sense of entitlement that I, like, they kind of behave as though they're not supposed to pay attention to these things. Um, like uh, Margaret Atwood wrote this um, book in the sixties. That was the first sort of like observation of Canadian literature as Canadian literature. And like the first chapter is her sort of defending Here's why I'm talking about it. We're, mm-hmm. I, I, this isn't big and important like America or or Britain, but also let's pay attention to us.
1: Wow. Um, so the it was an apologetic first chapter going. We're going to do this. It doesn't mean that I, that that I care a lot, yes. or it doesn't mean that I'm being prideful. I'm just saying that this is a a thing that exists, and we should talk about it. Ca- like. Canada is so defensive.
0: Canada is so scared of being proud. Canada is so defensive. Like it is, they call it the garrison mentality. It is everybody feeling like some shit's about to happen, and yeah. I'm I'm preparing for it. Which, as a Jew, I think has a, a great appeal. Even, but like, and also I, I think it's one of the reasons they produce so many good comedians is because. Um, they are fully aware of our culture, but have they distance from it? Right. In the same, so
1: their perspective is
0: yes. In the, in the same way that African Americans and Jews have this sort of like, I am completely, uh, like I am completely literate in how America works, but also I have this other culture that I am attached to that gives me a bit of distance, but
1: like. And there's a separation. Yes. There's there's a you're like, I am completely and entirely an American, but I there's part of America that doesn't accept me. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um but they and here's where it gets Similar to being gay, is they have a heightable distance, and they have a distance that doesn't necessarily have meaning to it. Like because they look just like us, because right. they, they can they, they can pass for Americans. They can pass for Americans, and so and and we can put
1: Canadian flags when we travel around the uh, the world.
0: Yes, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it is like being gay, and the only way you can express Canadianness is in some kind of performance of Canadianness because if you're just being yourself people are going to look at you unless you say a boot or tomorrow right. like or have a flag on you most people abroad we'll are going to are... assume that you're American yeah. um and in having an identity that you don't ha- there are so many people who have come here and just you know, been famous without ever sort of being Canadian in any way. And like, it's, it's very some Like it is so easy to pass, um, which means that people aren't aggressive about their identity. Like they're, they're self-conscious about being aggressive about their identity, which is very similar to the problem of, of gay people of shouldn't we be just trying to get by instead of having some sort of like aggressive pride in our identity.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a catch-22 of, of sort of how are you supposed to be yourself, completely yourself. and yes. You're like, you should just accept me. I am Canadian, but it's, it's not any bigger or less of a deal than being American, but you find it a bigger deal. Yes. Be, because they. The speculation from the outside gets really, you know, because the thing, it's like, it's like, um, not Wolf Blitzer. <laughs> Peter Jennings. No, who just came out? Oh. Oh, uh Anderson Cooper. <laughs> Anderson Cooper second time that I thought it was Wolf Blitzer. <laughs> uh so but Anderson Cooper, I feel like when Anderson Cooper came out, um someone said it felt very much like someone said, "Are you gay?" and he's like, "Yeah, are you?" <laughs> and it felt very much of um yeah, it, it, are oh you're not. Okay. And then so what are you reading? Yes. I mean, it, it was very much just this is part of my life. It is not all of me. Right. And and I think that but Canadians do feel a little self, like they don't mention it. Yes, you're just like, oh, you're Canadian. That's neat, and <laughs> but which of course sounds you know condescending to say, oh, you're neat.
0: Uh, there's a presumption that people won't know anything about it. It won't mean anything to them. There's the fact that they live in a world where culture is half American and maybe a third produced on their own. Where we live in
1: well, w- the, when I went to Australia, it, it was so. It, it was pointed out to me that I and I had not known this is that. It's cheaper to buy shitty American television than it is to produce yeah. your own. So yeah. hence uh when animals attack is still being shown. Uh,
0: you I, know. I went to Australia and they had ads. It was so awesome. They were getting ready to show um a crappy animated series that had been canceled after two episodes here, but they were going to show the whole season there because that's what Australia can afford. Right. Um <laughs> it was the one about Siegfried and Roy's uh tigers. Oh. But I feel like Australia.
1: What the hell was that?
0: There was an animated series about Siegfried and Roy's White Tigers that they canceled after two episodes? One or two episodes, but it was going to show in its entirety there. But us like Austra-
1: That's an hour. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, no, they they had 13 or 22 episodes or whatever. Oh, oh, oh two yes. seasons. Okay, okay, so they had a couple. No, se- no, no, no. Like they had made a full season, but only showed two, two episodes. episodes,
1: here. but they bought the entire series, two seasons. Yes. And they were gonna show it all, just cause.
0: Yes. Um but like, uh, Australia has the distance, it has so many of the problems that Canada has, but they at least have the distance, um to be able to feel like their own self.
1: They very much feel like their own self in the yes. way that, that it's, it's, it's funny how distant they feel. I mean, I think that they don't realize – uh like when you talk to them, they think that they're much further from the rest of the world yeah. than they actually are. You're like – you realize air travel is is every day, every day with the air <laughs> travel. And uh they, even across the country because they're just like, Perth, oh my god, yeah. you're in Perth? And you're like – yeah, it was four hours. It happens. Earth
0: is ridiculously far from Sydney though, and there's nothing in between.
1: Well, there's Alice Springs. Come <laughs>
0: on. <laughs> I have seen Priscilla Quinn in the desert. Um, but, uh. You do, it's great. <laughs> um, Australia also has, like, a real inferiority complex, a real sense that, like, w- oh, uh, somebody said, um, in, in Canada, you always feel as though if you are successful, you will graduate from Canada. And wow. one of their most recent, uh, prime ministerial candidates, was living in America until it was yet again an academic <laughs> oh, and he was man. living in America. And then they were like, Michael, come back.
1: <laughs> right. If you're actually running for <laughs> you're going to have to live in town. Oh <laughs> But
0: uh, I, I feel like Australia is at least able to achieve things like they're ridiculous. There are only 20 million of them, but they sure do send 500 people to the Olympics every time. You know, like they're right. amazing. Like they have stuff that they're really good at. And they have this cliche of being stupid and sexy um and good at sports. And they have to manage that. But at least they've got something where – Like, I feel like Canada both in being a more responsible child to England and trying to be what England wanted them to be while at the same time being right next to us and unable to avoid.
1: Yeah, Canada is very much the sun, like. Australia's more the prodigal son, and Austra- and Canada's the son that stayed.
0: Would you like my big theory? Sure here's my cause here
1: th- we are. we're at an hour.
0: Here's my big theory of the British Empire. The United States is the oldest child who, at eighteen years old, said, "Fuck you, I'm living by my own <laughs> rules I'm a hero. I'm out of here, yeah, and like went out and made a million dollars and like the mom is like super proud but has like a distanced relationship um <laughs> And Canada, well, because in Margaret Atwood's work, you've always got, in Margaret Atwood's work, you've always got this sort of...
1: Have you read most of Margaret Atwood's yes. work? Okay. Do yes. you realize she tweeted at me once? Uh, that's very awesome. It was Because I used to do a joke about how Sarah Palin, uh, 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 Sarah, it would be like, um, living in the handmaid's tale. Sarah Palin <laughs> became president. And, uh, and somebody turned it into a book title, and, um, she was like, Wow, that's dark. And I was like, <laughs> that's you wrote The Handmaid's Tale. Yes. Nothing I do could be ever as dark as Margaret Atwood.
0: She's so funny and dark. She's so awesome. Mm-hmm. But yes. always plays with being boring. Like her work, uh, I presented a paper on her once um and uh, at the Modern Language Association and it was about the ways that she her characters aggressively use being boring and polite and d- doing all of these responsible English things while being cunty to each other. Right,
1: right. Uh, they're, they're in a box, but stabbing people. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's the weirdest. <laughs> it's like the most dangerous box ever <laughs> to and, even get near.
0: And it's, it's also as a man, I don't understand what being a woman is and. Like Her works, um, among others, have taught me so much about the dynamics of being a girl and having these responsibilities to be polite and have friends, but also hating your friends. <laughs> um, so Canada is like responsible second child who stayed at home and was like... dutiful care of everybody. Yes. And who the mom completely ignores and doesn't really give a shit about, um, but who is so dutiful. Um, and then Australia is... old kid who gets drunk, fucks around, but you love him because he's so sexy. Right, and you
1: keep putting him in rehab, and you're like, no, he's got to get his shit together this time.
0: (laughs) Yes, and they're idiots, but you love them, and no one thinks about New Zealand.
1: (laughs) Poor New Zealand. And New Zealand is just like the Oliver. Oliver, and, uh, but have you ever been to New Zealand?
0: No, I haven't. It I seems beautiful. Have you
1: been to Canada? I have been to Canada. Have you done Have you done some extensive traveling in Canada or no?
0: No. I want so bad to either uh, take the Canadian railroad across okay. um, or uh, drive across. They have like a highway system. Like they have one main highway across the southern part of the country. Right. Um, I've mostly just been to Montreal, which is awesome. But- yep. Um, but I, I want to go more.
1: Right, right. Montreal is, is beautiful and lovely. And there's, they're doing good work with pastries. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I'm really, I'm looking forward to going to Toronto in January. And, um. Are you doing I'm, a yuck yucks? I am not doing a yuck yucks. Thank you, God. <laughs> I'm doing a, <laughs> I'm doing a bunch of shows with a guy named Ian Atlas. So if you know him, walk up to him and say, Hey, Jackie Kitchen <laughs> on the Dark Forest is, but I'm going to be doing a lot of travel, uh, in November. So if you're in Seattle, Reno, uh, or Tucson, Phoenix and Tucson. I'm also doing that and that's all of November. So look at JackieCation.com and, uh, and come and see some comedy if you want to. So Guy Branham, uh, GuyBranham.com. Yes, is your website, and people can come and see you do stand-up comedy a lot in Los Angeles, right? Yes. Okay, and then at Guy Branum is your Twitter, and then you have a web series on YouTube, yes. right?
0: Yes, called The Factuary. One of the episodes is about Canadian independence, and also one thing I forgot to mention is yes. watch Partners on CBS, because I'm going to be on it. I'm supposed to be recurring, but it has to continue to exist if that's going to happen. Right,
1: CBS uh, t- uh, uh, hour-long drama?
0: Uh no, no, it's a half-hour sitcom.
1: Half-hour sitcom? Uh Guess who doesn't have a television i have a giant television that i never turn on behind you uh i uh, watched the avengers four times okay so um guy bradham this was super fun thank, thank you, you very much thanks so much for being on the show thanks for tuning in americans and canadians take care of yourselves out there and each other good night my hat my hat my hat they're dancing around my hat my hat my hat my hat, my hat. well what do you think of that